Welcome to the Down Syndrome Victoria podcast. This is a podcast where we explore the latest topics of interest and bring you interviews with inspiring and knowledgeable members of our community. Welcome to the Down Syndrome Victoria podcast. My name is Sonia Bonadio and I'm the Family Support Manager at Down Syndrome Victoria. Today we're speaking with Jazz, the foster care specialist for Fostering Connections, and Jenny, a long-time foster carer, about the foster care sector in Victoria. Some of the complexities around fostering kids with Down syndrome and other disabilities, and some of the common questions and myths that surround foster care. Hello and welcome to you both. Thanks, Sonia. I'm Jasmine and I'm here from Fostering Connections. Thank you so much for having us today. Thank you. I'm Jenny. I've been a foster carer for around 30 years. I was a midwife and we've had quite a few children through our home and I'm currently caring for a child with Down syndrome. Thank you very much for introducing yourself. Jasmine, can you tell us a little bit about your role in foster, fostering connections and a bit about the foster care sector in Victoria? Absolutely. So my role title is the Foster Care Connections Specialist at Fostering Connections, and we are the statewide recruitment information and referral service here in Victoria. We work closely with the Department of Families, Fairness and Housing and local foster care agencies across the state, where in Victoria, most foster care is managed through community service organisations or Aboriginal community controlled organisations who assess and support foster carers, their families and the children in care. The most interesting part of my role is managing our inquiry line and talking to community members about how foster care might look in their household, answering questions and helping them get started on their foster care journey if they're ready. I'm also a qualified foster care trainer and assessor, so I get to work directly with families and help them prepare for their fostering role. This week is uh, Foster Care Week from September 10 to 16, so when we celebrate our amazing foster carers and hope to spread awareness about the need for foster carers, so that's why I'm here today. Great, thank you. So can we start by um, just having a bit of a chat about some of the common trends or questions that people ask when they're considering becoming a foster carer? Yeah, for sure. So probably the biggest thing I hear from community members is that they think foster carers are incredible people, but that they're not sure if they can do it themselves. And we do think foster carers are amazing, opening their hearts and homes to vulnerable children, but mostly they're just ordinary people. They're tradies, they're teachers, they're accountants, hairdressers, retirees, you name it. You don't need to be a superhero to be a foster carer. You just need to have a desire to help vulnerable children. And that's probably the biggest thing that that people say to me in my role. Other than that, everybody has different questions about what foster care might look like for them, considerations for their families, different fears, different skills they might bring to the roles and different styles in their home as well. So I've been thrown some pretty big curveball questions in my time, but generally I say there's no silly questions. You don't know what you don't know and you don't need to know everything before you get started. You don't even need to know a lot. That's what we're here for to help guide you along that way. Jenny, how did you get involved in foster care? And can you tell us a little bit about the path that you took? Um, it's so long ago. I just remember that we had friends who were foster carers and I really thought it was a great thing to do. And, but I always put it on the back burner because I thought, well, I'm a single person and single people don't do foster care. We're talking 30 years ago. And I was, we were in the spa with these friends in their spa one night and we were talking and Sue said, why don't you become a foster carer? And I said, but I'm single. She said, so? And that was a Monday night. Tuesday night she rang me and said, hey, I'm on the committee and we've got an information night tomorrow night. Wednesday night I went to an information night and 
the rest is history. So from a conversation on a Monday uh, by Wednesday, I was on the journey. Had you thought about it before, Jenny, or was it the first time you thought about it? No, no, I'd thought about it. I had thought about it before (laughs) and it was seeing these people doing it that kind of brought it to life because even I'd thought about it, but I hadn't seen it. But seeing them, I'd seen it. So we just, I started doing regular respite and the friend I was sharing that was house sharing with me, um, we had twins for a while and their mother went into hospital. So we were having them for two weeks and there was one day in that two weeks when we, I, was, I wasn't able to be in the house and she wasn't allowed to care for them because she wasn't accredited as a carer. So she went and did the accreditation so that she could be a carer as well. Well, then the rest is history because yeah. we're still doing it. And so, Jenny, it sounds like you've been fostering for a long time, 30 years, I think you said. Have you noticed changes within that time, in that 30 years in the foster care sector? Yeah, a lot. Are there any that stand out? (laughs) I think the things that stand out for me are the children that are coming through the system now. You rarely get a child that's not really traumatised or has a disability, more than we ever saw in the beginning. And I think the... Support in foster care, I think, over the years for us has changed. I think it's changed for the better in that there is more support available when you ask for it. But I also think that people's expectations have changed as far as the support they want or expect. The support is different. We've got a child who has complex medical needs I mean, he's well and he's functioning okay, but he had very complex medical needs as a newborn and in his first few years. And the support today would be very different to the support we were given back then. But I think people are more aware of the needs of children today. But I also think people today are better at asking for support more than we ever were. And I think we're encouraged to ask for support more now than we ever were. And when we ask for it, we get it. So thanks, Jenny, talking a little bit about the changes that have occurred in the last 30 years and talking about the supports that are available now. Um, For people who are thinking about becoming a foster carer, can you, um, Jasmine, maybe we'll start with you and and, um, if you could describe or talk a little bit about what that might look like um, and what the process is in becoming a foster carer and what people need to, I guess, start preparing about if they're thinking about, um, you know, joining in as a foster carer. For sure. So when people start their journey to becoming a foster carer, it really does just start at the bare bones with a desire to help children in need. Um, And so we'd encourage people to start with doing a bit of research. You can Google it, but you can also call our inquiry line or call a local agency in your area and just have a chat. So the first step is super informal. You're just having a conversation, asking any questions and describing how your household looks and what foster care might, how foster care might fit into your family. So 
usually, as Jenny said, people know someone who's been in foster care or they know a foster carer. So they might have some understanding of what foster caring is like, um, but you don't have to. All you need to have is an extra spare bedroom. You need to be over 21 and you need to have the right to live and work in Australia. So that's the bare, bare minimum to get started. From there, the commitment varies for each family in terms of how much time you invest in fostering, but the assessment process itself is relatively the same for all people going through that process. So as I said, it starts with a phone call. We go through some screening questions. And if you'd like to proceed, and we say that along every step of the way, if you'd like to proceed, because it's a chance for you to ask questions, think about it, talk to your support network, and every step along the way you'll be asked, would you like to move to the next step? So after that initial phone call, you will head along to an information session. Um, that might be one-on-one -on -one in your home. It might be a group information session, depending on where you live in the agency. Uh, but you'll get a bit more information about the agency that you're working with, and they'll get a bit more information about you. Then you do some training, and that really is the foundational knowledge that you need to become a foster carer. So I tell people, we don't expect you to know everything after that. You shouldn't be 100% prepared for fostering after that training. That's not the goal. It's really a chance for you to learn a bit more information um, in a really um, tightly controlled way so that it's only the information you need at that stage. Then we do some background checks and assessment interviews, and they will usually take, that can usually take a couple of months. So things like visiting your GP, getting some personal references, writing a life story, which is always the most interesting part for me to read um, and probably the most challenging part for our um, prospective carers to do. Um, and then you'll head into those assessment interviews. So a qualified assessor will come out to your home, um, have, do a couple of interviews with you. We call them conversations because they're not like job interviews. There's no right or wrong answers. It's really a chance to get to know you quite intimately and quite deeply. Um, and after that, they'll compile a big report that goes to a panel to make a final decision. So it's not just one person making that decision about you becoming a carer. Um, we don't throw you in the deep end at that point. So if there's anything that we think you might need to work through or anything that we think um, you might need to explore before you become a foster carer, we'll let you know what that is. Um, and hopefully you're not being placed, you know, immediately into, as I said, the deep end and, and thrown really challenging um, children off the bat. Jenny's laughing, um, but that's always our goal. And as I said, that commitment for every family really varies depending on your circumstances. Some families might welcome children into their home for years, even up until they're 18 or 21. Um, others might support children for a couple of months while their family gets back on their feet and they're supporting that family to be re reunited or reunified, as we say. Um, others might help out in an emergency situation, so just for a weekend while a more stable placement is found. And others might only be able to spare a weekend a month for respite to support other foster carers. So, a lot of our foster carers lead really busy lives. They might work full time, have other commitments. So it really is designed to fit around your family and your lifestyle. And that's what the commitment looks like for each family. That's right. oh, Can you sorry. just talk a little bit more when a child is then placed, what kind of support wraps around the family at that point? Yeah, for sure. So every child in foster care will have a case manager through their agency and they'll also have what's called a care plan around them. So that looks at all the all of the different elements of that child's care. Um, it's things like when they'll have contact with their family, um, any 
medical needs, any educational needs, that kind of thing. Um, and that support will be provided to you mainly one-on-one -on -one with your case manager from the agency. But there is a broader care team around that child comprising of relevant professionals um, and stakeholders in that child's care. So that might also include NDIS workers or other um other allied health specialists, depending on the child's needs. And if the child's school age, they'll also have regular meetings with the school. So tracking that educational um, involvement. Um, the support itself will look different for every family. So for some families, they might need more support with, you know, emotional debriefing and things like that. Others might need more practical support for things like transport or um, setting up important um, connections with services. Others might need help with navigating more complex health needs. It really is tailored to each child and each family's needs. Some carers are really happy to just get text messages from their case managers with updates. Others need to have someone that they can chat to regularly on the phone or, or visits. So the support will remain the same in terms of what's required. So we have to see you once a month, we have to see the child once a month, um, things like that. But in terms of that day-to-day -day support, that will vary for every family based on their needs. So Jess, I'm wondering if you let us know from the time that they perhaps have it, and I've got, this is probably gonna vary for everybody. So kind of just a general um, idea. Uh, from the time someone has that initial conversation to you to they have a child placed with them, what can that time frame look like? So we say a couple of months. It can take about six months. It can take longer or it can be done in a shorter time frame. And again, that depends on your family circumstances and the time commitment that you have. So I liken that to we you wouldn't have a baby overnight. You wouldn't go through that. You you have that pregnancy phase to really prepare for what that's going to look like for your family. Have conversations in your home. Consider the things you probably haven't considered yet. Um, so I say to people to usually allow about nine months, which seems like a really long process. But as I said, you wouldn't have a newborn come into your home overnight. So that time to prepare is really important. Um, and it can depend on a number of factors. So if you're able to meet with your agency immediately if you're able to get into training immediately and if you get all your paperwork and checks back without any issues really quickly it can take as as short as three months but I encourage people to really take the time that they need to go through all of that process um, and really think it through. So we know with all families there can be rewards and challenges uh, and I'm sure there's no doubt that there is um, similar rewards and challenges in foster caring so can you talk a little bit about what some of the, the rewards are of foster caring? So foster care comes with challenges, sure. These are children and young people who've been through some pretty tough situations or they wouldn't be in foster care in the first place. That can be confronting for foster carers, but most of the carers that I speak to say that the rewards outweigh the challenges by tenfold. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it in the first place. I've seen and heard some of the most beautiful stories about children achieving big things or even little things, learning to use a knife and fork for the first time, learning to count to 10, learning to tie their shoes, um, learning new skills all across the board to even opening up to be able to trust their foster carers for the first time in the ways that you will notice that in them. Um, and I've heard the most amazing stories about children returning home to be with their families, which is almost always the, um, the goal for children in foster carers. So for most foster carers that I speak to, they say that that's 
pretty rewarding to play a part in and almost a privilege, even if there are challenges along the way. I'm sure, Jenny, you've got some pretty amazing stories of, of the rewards you've seen as a foster carer. I think for, for us, we're very big on birth family, birth families and engaging with the birth families in a positive way. Um, we've got another little boy who's, well, he's not a little boy anymore, he's 21, and we still have contact with his mum. She doesn't have contact with him, but we have contact with her. And it's just affirming them because a lot of these parents who have to have their children removed from them, it's not always, you know, they're dealt really terrible life situations. It's it's not their fault. They're not bad people. They're just in bad situations. And so while we, we love the kids and we love working with the kids, we also love working with the, the birth families and giving them a positive relationship with their birth family. And it doesn't always happen, but mostly it has for us. And we were just with our little girl that we've got at the moment, we took her to visit with her mum on uh, at the weekend. And this little girl, we went, we visited, we saw mum back in June in the same cafe. And this little girl confidently walked into the cafe on her ahead of us, walked in through the cafe and around and sat at the table where we visited with her mum back in June. And then her mum arrived and said, oh, where is she? And I said, she's sitting at your table. She said, what? I said, she's sitting at your table. And her mum went in and it was just so beautiful to see the mum happy that the little girl was happy, but also happy that the little girl was with us. Not that we're, and, and I, I agree with Jazz, the comment that, that families make, we're just ordinary people. There's nothing special about us. We're just ordinary. Um, but if we can help a relationship with, that's been fractured heal, then I think we've done our job as far as, working with families. I enjoy working with the families as much as I enjoy working with the children. Thanks so much for that, Jenny. We know that children with disability um, are perhaps more overrepresented in foster care. I just wonder if we could speak a little bit about that for now um, and perhaps have a little bit of a chat about what it might look like for um, specifically children who may be entering the foster care system or even more broadly children with um, disability or additional needs and what that might look like. So when we're looking at placement matching for any child, whether they have a disability or more complex needs or not, we look at what households are available and what they can offer for that child. So the agency will look at what their needs are and then they'll look at the suitable available carers that they have. And we know that every child with a disability even is going to have different presentations, different needs um, and different things that will support them best in that placement. So there might be a family that's got experience caring for a child with Down syndrome, for example, and we know that that might be something they're interested in. Um, or we might approach a carer who's maybe never done it before but has a specific skill set or approach that would be suited to that family. So the agency will give you a call, as Jenny alluded to before, and they'll talk to you about what that placement might look like. So they'll say, we have a 
10-year-old boy or a three-year-old girl, this is what we know about them. Um, this is how long we think that they might need care for. Um, do you think you might be available um, to, to do that for them? The carer then has any has the opportunity to ask any questions that they might have. So you can ask more information about the child's needs or history, um, and then you can progress that if you are available and interested. Sometimes carers will say, I'm really busy at work at the moment, we can't fit it in, or we've got a holiday booked, or we've got other children in placement that it's just not going to work, and that's okay. So once that placement has been made or throughout that conversation, the carer can talk about what they might need as well to support that child. So if they know that there's things that they might need a little bit of extra help from the agency with, they can ask those questions then and there. Um, as I said, when we accredit and register carers through that process, we do ask the care types that you're interested in. So it might be that a carer is registered for primary school age children, um, maybe boys only if they've got children of their own in the home or girls only or either. If there's a child that's outside of that spe um, specific range, we might still call you and ask the question if you've got the right skill set or approach and we think it would be a good match. But it's always up to the carer to say yes or no. Um, is that your experience with starting those placements? We started off doing regular respite back in the time when respite carers were available. And I think back then too it was different because I think there weren't so many double income families needed so there were more mums at home available to care for babies or children, younger children than there are available today. So I can't remember the first placement, I know the first placement but I can't remember the time frame but we were asked if we would take on twins, 15 month old twins on a regular respite and then we ended up doing respite for a another foster carer whose husband was diagnosed with cancer and we did re we ended up doing regular or respite whenever he had his chemo so that she could go into the hospital with him and because the child the baby was quite fractious and I think that's another thing about child differences between then and now because I know I realize now that that baby was actually withdrawing and withdrawal wasn't acknowledged or understood quite as much in newborns as it is today. So this little fractious baby used to come to us quite regularly overnight and then the, he, the, the husband became terminal and we were in a position where we could take on the little girl full time. And she was our first ever full time um, placement. And it just happened. It just evolved. It was something that evolved. It didn't, it, we weren't asked, would we do it? It happened between carers. We saw the need and we, so we said to our agency, look, we worked out in a fortnight we needed, we worked opposite each other and we needed one day of care and she could go back to the, her previous carer for that one day a fortnight to maintain a relationship with her. Well, somebody said to me one day, oh, there's always one you keep. I said, sorry, there's always one you keep. I bet she stays. I said, I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, the baby was with us. She came for three months because she had a permanent care order on her 
and that permanent in that three months as a midwife, I could see that she was not developing. Her milestones weren't meeting. She wasn't meeting her milestones. And I said this to her case manager who said, oh, yes, but my child. And I said, stop. I'm not talking about your child. I'm talking about this child. And I need you to hear me. And I, it was, I can still picture myself out in the, in the passageway. I can still see the carpet. I can still see myself pacing with the phone, having this conversation, advocating for this child. And she ended up, instead of three months, she was with us for eight months. So I never believe when somebody says it's only for a week, it's only for a month. Our current placement of six and a half years came for four weeks. So we ended up, that little girl went into permanent care and rebounded back to us 18 months later because she, they were told she might never speak and she might never get past special school. So she returned and she's 28. She's working. She functions well. Uh, she does speak and she didn't go to special school. She's been challenging, but hey, she's come out this air, the other end she's a good person. I love that story, Jenny. And I love um, how you speak so fiercely about advocating for the needs of the child in that. Um, when we talk about skills that we need from foster carers, that ability to communicate and advocate for children in your care, you're the ones with them 24 seven, you're the ones caring for them. Um, it's not uncommon for carers or placements to be extended and for that to stretch out over time. I want to make it really clear to anyone listening that when Jenny's talking about respite care, we would usually say that's, you know, one weekend a month for usually the same child. We want them to have a relationship with their respite carers. And Jenny's touched on there is a real need for carers for complex children for respite care for one weekend a month to give carers like Jenny a bit of a break, but also the kids a break. And we think about that a lot. Um, as a sort of like an auntie relationship or a grandma or grandparent, sorry, grandparent relationship where, you know, my nieces and nephews will come and stay with me every so often and give their parents a break. Um, and it's just like that. It's just that our kids need qualified and checked people to be the, their carers. Where their regular placement can't continue, so in a case where the carer might become sick or unwell or is um, unable to care long-term for that child, of course, that can turn into a need for a longer placement type, as Jenny's touched on. Uh, but that would definitely be a conversation with the carer. So we tell people to definitely, if, if respite is something you can fit in now and maybe down the track, you'd look at long-term care. We don't just tick a box and transfer you over to a different care type. More often than not, it's as Jenny said, it's a child that you know and that you've built an attachment with um, and that you care very deeply about to advocate for them and you know what their needs are, um, that it might organically shift into something else. But there would always be a conversation with the agency about how that might look for your family as well. And I think too, that's why we went to long-term care and why we've made our placements open-ended because when this little girl came back to us um, we realized that we couldn't relinquish her again in, we didn't want her going and bouncing from care from placement to placement so we committed to raising her and people thinking that we're a couple when we're not because 
our commitment was to her. And then we decided that she needed a sibling. You know, it wasn't fair. She needed a sibling. So we took on a little boy. He was three and a half. He's now 27. And he's had different issues because he had attachment disorder. And he's the reason that we now open-end our placements because he was so emotionally fractured. He'd had something like 17 placements and he was three. And so because of his fractured uh, his fractured behaviour emotions, we decided that's what we'd do. Well, we've moaned, we have, ba we took babies because that was my skill set and that was also a, a definite a decision so that we could provide the emotional support and attachment for these babies so that they didn't become emotionally fractured and have multiple placements. So hopefully all the kids that we've had that have been with us long term have gone with that. They've got a base of attachment and love and nurturing. They haven't missed out on that part of it. Jason and Jenny, I just I wonder if you could spend a little bit of time talking about what it might be like to have someone in foster care who has Down syndrome. Um, so people may be thinking about um, fostering a child who has Down syndrome or even a family who has a child with Down syndrome who's thinking about foster caring. So we've got kind of two different scenarios there. Um, so um, Jason, maybe we'll start with you and if you can talk a little bit about um, you know, what um, families may need to consider if they're thinking about fostering a child with Down syndrome. Um, and if you also can kind of include some information there about families um, who are thinking about fostering who already have a child with Down syndrome. Yeah, so as I, as I mentioned earlier, every family that I speak to is very different. So whether you've got children at home or adult children, whether they have a disability or not, we will consider that whole family unit as part of your foster care assessment. So if you've got a child or a young person in your home that does have more complex needs, that's taken into account. And I spoke earlier about the different supports available for, uh, for fostering families, and that includes that case management, but as I said earlier, it does include the whole family in that. So if you've got a child yourself with a disability, that is absolutely factored in. For people who might have a child with a disability and be thinking about the ever ever looming NDIS um, paperwork piles um, or decisions that need to be made around an NDIS package, I want to assure people that when you're a parent, you make decisions all on your own and you have to navigate that by yourself. But when you are a foster carer, you have that care team behind you, that support. So I mentioned earlier, you've got a case manager and they can help with things like navigating the NDIS system, particularly for people who might be listening that don't haven't done that themselves. They maybe aren't a parent, but they know somebody who's got Down syndrome and that's their, um, their interest in this community. You're not making all of those decisions or having to do all of that work yourself. Um, so that's something to definitely keep in mind. The other side to that is there is a lot more wraparound supports in terms of that care team coming together. So if you've got a, um, a school-aged child, whether they're in specialist school or mainstream school, they will meet regularly, as I said earlier, with that care team. And that can include other NDIS 
plan included professionals. So it might be that they've got an OT, a speech therapist, physiotherapists, and they will come together at the school to discuss education needs or within that care team setting as well. So navigating the NDIS, I guess there are more moving parts with foster care and the intersection between foster care and the NDIS is going to look a little bit different, but it's important to note that the support also looks different. You're not having to manage it all on your own. In saying all of this, this is my knowledge of the NDIS system and caring for children with disabilities, but I haven't done it myself and Jenny has. So Jenny, you've probably navigated that yourself. What does that look like for you? I've got, I should have four children on NDIS. I've only got three at the moment. And I haven't, now that we're into the swing of it, and it's fine, we've done repeat um, plans for all of our kids so I I don't find it daunting really at all once it's set up it's set up and it just we go with the flow um, my, my biggest the biggest hassle has been finding clinicians especially since COVID we've really struggled finding a speech therapist but we've gone we have a school speech therapist who gives us information and things to work on. And we also have the reports from previous speech therapists on things to work with. And we've been doing those strategies. And while NDIS hasn't covered it, we've certainly seen some gains for our little one in doing what the speech therapists that we've had contact with done. So, Jenny, have you been a part of the planning process in the NDIS or um, are you also, um, as a foster care, responsible in making sure all those therapy appointments happen? Both. I've been responsible for making sure all the appointments happen and that the people that need to be there are there. But I've also had uh, our case manager at times has said we've set up a meeting. She, for some has needed something and has contacted the um NDIS, the LAC, who has, they've had a conversation, so she'll come back to me and say, I've just had this information from the LAC, can we have a meeting here? And then we, we coordinate the meeting, we all come together. It, it has, I haven't, I have not found it difficult or daunting. Frustrating, but not difficult or daunting. Uh, and Jenny, while we wrap up, I'd really love, because I know you have, um, uh, provided foster care for children who have Down syndrome. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your experience of what that's been like. Our, we had no experience of Down syndrome except knowing people that had children years ago that would have Down syndrome. So caring for a child with Down syndrome was something that was totally new to us. What I've learned is Every child with Down syndrome is different. So if for Down syndrome Victoria, if you got a, if nothing else comes out of this podcast, if you get a call from a foster carer or from anyone saying, I've been asked to take on a child with Down syndrome, can your first question be, how old is the child? Because if you take on a newborn, they're unknown and you grow with them. If you take on a six and a half year old, you have to let the person who's taking the child on has to listen to the people who know the child. 
because they're all different and their NDIS needs are different too. So, and their speech needs, everything is different for each child. That bit said, I had to get that out. Caring for our little one with Down syndrome has been an amazing experience. She's one of the most amazing little creatures you could ever meet. She is funny. She is she is so resourceful, it's scary. You have to have your wits about you all the time. You cannot turn yourself off at all, ever, unless you know that she is really sound asleep. She's just, she's amazing. But, uh, the thing that I, I just, I love watching her grow. I, I love seeing her achieve. She She's into, all of a sudden, she's learned signing is becoming something that she's enjoying. And so every weekend we find a new word and she'll practice that word and she'll come and she'll tap me on the shoulder and show me the new word that she's learning to sign and try and makes a sound for the new word. Last weekend we went to the beach. So beach was the word that we signed. And we tell school what sign we've learned. She's going to a special school that is just awesome and she's blossomed. That we told her, we told school that this the weekend she learned to sign beach. And I said, and she was running through the water, she fell over, planted her face in, and just totally submerged herself in the water because she tripped. So they asked her about the beach and she signed beach and then she proceeded to demonstrate how she'd fallen and got wet so we they didn't ask her to do that she was able to tell them the story that she fell over and tried to swim and got wet so watching her grow and develop it's just been amazing she's just she just engages everybody everybody loves her they love at school she shows empathy with the other kids she tries to help the teachers she tries to she'll help the children that are struggling with their uh, things in the in the playground, even in the classroom, she's awesome. She's just awesome. Thanks so much, Jenny. I guess what I'm, uh, you know, been hearing over this time is that there is uh, a real team approach in, um, you know, in foster caring, and that's a really important element to it. Uh, and the supports that wrap around the families are really important. Um, and specifically, I guess if we're talking about people or children who have Down syndrome what that support may look like. Um, obviously, uh, includes support from DSC as well. Um, and, you know, we would encourage anyone who's thinking about fostering a child with Down syndrome or who is fostering a child with Down syndrome, that um, family support is always available to provide that information um, about what to expect um, and, you know, what other supports may be available to provide a listening ear and to provide all the same family su support that we provide all families across Victoria. So if anyone is interested in speaking to me at Family Support, you can get me on email at Sonia B, S-O-N-I-A-B, at dsav.asn.au, but I'm sure you'll find those details in the podcast notes. Thanks, everyone. Does anyone have anything else they would like to include? If anybody is listening who is interested in exploring whether foster care is right for them or interested in starting their journey towards becoming a foster carer, they can reach us on 1800 013 088 and speak to a 
qualified foster care specialist, or they can visit our website, fosteringconnections.com.au and explore many stories, examples, frequently asked questions and information that might help them on their journey as well. Yeah, thanks for listening. We've had amazing support from our agency over the, the time we've had our little girl with Down syndrome. And what I really appreciate is that our case manager trusts us and knows us well enough to, when we ask for something, she knows we really need it. And she's been, you know, our agency's been amazing with us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for all your uh, very important information, Jasmine. And Jenny, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us. I think a lot of people have who have listened to this have got um, been a much greater understanding of what foster care may look like and the rewards that go along with that. So thank you very much. For more information about Down Syndrome Victoria, visit downsyndrome.org.au slash Vic.